0: Hey, family, I just want to say thank you for your generosity. It has made such a difference already in only nine months as a community. And I know you know this, but that's less than a year. In less than a year, we have given over $25,000 through missions and outreach. We have seen over 15 people be raised to life through baptism. And here's the best part I want you to celebrate this because it's worth celebrating. More than 85 people have given their life to Jesus. Come on, family. That's what it's about. But you know what? That has been made possible by your generosity. But know this, family. There's more that we can do. There's more that we can do through missions. There's more for us to do in terms of seeing people be baptized. And listen, there are more souls to be saved. That's what the Bricklayer's offering is all about. It's about the spirit of generosity coming together to see more lives change. So when we come together as a community on December 11th to give above and beyond family, we're coming together to see that happen so that more lives can be changed. Listen, Jesus is building his church and he's building it brick by brick. I'm so excited and so thankful for this opportunity to be able to gather like this. Uh, and happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving. hope you didn't uh, eat too much of the turkey and all that good stuff and dressing and all that. Like, I hit my limit. I'm like, I'm good. Like, we need something different. We get some barbecues, something else. But hope you had a great time being able to connect and relax a little bit. But I'm excited this Sunday to continue our collection that we kicked off last week uh, called uh, bricklayers. And the idea behind bricklayers was really this idea that, that Jesus is building his church brick by brick. You know, oftentimes people get excited about the, the overnight success, you know, the, the one-hit wonder, the, the 15 minutes of fame person, and people get excited about that. But as a church community, and, and I pray for, for your life, for your walk with Jesus, uh, our goal isn't to be an overnight success, But our goal is to have significance over time. Because when you're simply this overnight success, when the wind comes and and the rain comes and the storm comes, you don't really have a foundation that's firm that you're standing on. But when you're playing the long game to be significant over time, you can handle the storm. You can handle the rocky weather. You can handle the elements, why? Because you're built to last. And so as a church community here, nine months in, we're like, there's, there's more to go. There's more to do. We, we've got to keep on pushing. We've got to keep on going. We're not trying to be an overnight success. We're trying to be significant over time. We want to be built to last. Because the Becoming Church isn't about Michael Hamilton. It isn't about Katie Hamilton. It isn't about insert name here. But it's about the generations to come unless Jesus returns, meaning that there are generations on generations on generations that will serve the becoming church because the church wasn't launched around a name, around a person, around a personality, but it was launched with a mission to help people live closer to God. And until Jesus returns, that's going to, be con- that's going to continue to be the mission. So that means the things that we do, it has to um, position us to be built to last so we're not we don't care about an overnight success or any of that define that anyway but we're about being significant over time but do you know how that happens significance over time it doesn't happen with a big splash it happens little by little it happens bit by bit small gain by small gain, or brick by brick and that's the same with our journey with our walk with jesus it's, it's, it's not, life is not about this destination, but it's about the journey. It's about the process. And so that's why even where you are in your spiritual journey, in your walk with Jesus, you can't compare yourself to anyone else. You can't sit back and say, oh, man, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this thing. It's five years later, and this is still an issue. Because we're all on a spiritual journey. He says, Paul says this. He says, "Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you would bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So in other words, family, it's not about perfection, but it's about progression, that we're progressing towards who God, into the person that God has called us to become. So that's true in our lives spiritually, but that's also true for the life of this church, that we're progressing to who God is calling us to be. And last week we kicked off this conversation of bricklayers. And we talked about how you build with a burden. That's not simply enough to just build, but you build effectively when there's a burden to build. And we used the story of Nehemiah, where he heard uh, the, the walls of Jerusalem were in ruin, and he had a burden. But then we discussed that it wasn't just enough for him to have a burden. He needed to pause for a minute. And that's where we say you got to pray first. So before he responded to King Artaxerxes, and he's like, what are you talking about? Go back and check the message last week It's on YouTube if, you have, if you're not tracking with us. And it's the holiday season, so that's a perfect place for a reminder that as you're in and out, vacation and travel, uh, YouTube, every Monday at 11 a.m., the, the sermon is uploaded for you to be able to connect with. But he's serving this, this Persian king, and he hears that the walls are in ruins, and before he responds, when the king is like, yo, what's, what's wrong with you, he prays. And the reason why it was important for him to pray because he needed a vision first before he just went out and just started doing stuff. And so we said, we, you, we need to pray first. We also got to take a risk. Some of us, man, there are some things that God has called us to, but we're like, yo, I'm not stepping into that because that's a little risky. I, I don't know. I need more clarity. And that's where we discover, like, God has not called us to live a life of clarity, but it's called us to live a life of faith. And so we must pray first. Uh, we must take a risk. And then lastly, we said we must remember the mission. So when it gets tough, when it gets difficult, when there's a lot of questions, we go back to the mission. What is the mission of the becoming church? It's to help people live closer to God. And really, that, that, that should be the mission of our lives. As, as for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that, that we want to help people live closer to him. We want to love God and love people. As Jesus said those are the greatest two. And so this week, we're going to continue uh, this conversation around bricklayers. And we're going to use uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 to help guide this conversation. And so you can follow along with me there. Now, judgment-free zone, because these are some interesting names that's about to pop up on the screen. And you're like, but shouldn't you have studied and shouldn't you know these? Well, yes, yes. But I don't remember the pronunciations. When the last time you said Eliashib on a Monday? Never, okay? It's not exactly Matthew. (laughs) But here we go. Verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section of Zakur, son of Emir, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanah. There we go. They lay its beam, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. son, there's a name for you if you're expecting of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Benah, also made repairs. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoia, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. In Jesus' name, I'm going to take a drink of water after that. (laughs) Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your grace, for your love and mercy. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather in this space this morning around your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you Help us in this moment. God, help us to see what it is that you're showing us. God, help, it, help us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. And, Lord, as we always say, we're your servants, and we say this, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Family, we got caught up in the, the housing boom of 2020. <clears throat> we moved to this city. In June of 2020, and we're like, yo, we need somewhere to stay. That's what happens when you move. And so we started looking for a home. The only problem was that everybody was looking for a home. Interest rates were at an all-time record low. And so people who were not even in the market were in the market because it's free money. The interest rate's so low. And so any home that was already existing had about 20 offers on it or so. I don't know, maybe more. And it probably sold for $50,000, dollars $70,000 over asking. So they're right in that we were out of the hunt. Because for us, the way things are set up, our bank account specifically, there's a checking and then there's a savings. And they didn't like what they saw with the sixty to seventy thousand over asking so the only solution we had uh, was to, to build a house and so we started the process of, of building a home which was great and exciting and, and and my parents live in the area and so we were able to live with them during that time it's like cool the builder's like yo it's gonna take about six months seven months give or take you know rain a little bit so maybe seven months it was not seven months family it was, not <laughs> it, was, it was not seven months. And not because the builder was, was bad or anything like that, but a lot of other people, they had situations where their checking and savings was kind of <laughs> like ours, and so it was more affordable to go build a home. And so literally, our subdivision was like sold out. So it was pretty much get in queue. But that wasn't enough, right? There was also the delays Because of the the virus, the the pandemic. And that pushed everything back. Which today, I have a problem with people who are still using it. Like, hey, uh, you guys, can can, can I get an Arnold Palmer to drink? Ah, man, you know, delays from the virus. We don't have it in stock. I'm like, come on, man. (laughs) Who just didn't go to the store? (laughs) Stop that. But we got pushed back. But finally, I mean, I remember... Before I say that, I remember going, we would drive over to the house just with hopes that we'll see something some progress. And every single weekend we saw the dirt. We drive over, we pull up, we look at that dirt, we pray for that dirt, we believe in that dirt, we intercede on behalf of that dirt. We just was hoping something would happen with the dirt. (laughs) And then one week we drove by the house. And I said, like, hold on, Katie, what's going on? I see some little flags on the lot. That's different. She's like, those flags mean nothing. I said, Katie, because this is six months, family, nothing. No, we signed a contract, six months. They said house going to be finished in seven. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to be, I can't get my, my words right. I don't know what kind of home this is going to be completed in a month. But we saw those, I saw those flags. I was like, hold up. So we came back the next day, then the pile of rocks were dropped off. I said, come on now, the interceding for this dirt, progression is happening. And we came back the next day. We actually had a meeting there at the model home, and we drove by and looked at the lot. And family, would you know, we had a foundation. That was a mo- it was two days before Christmas. So it was, that was the Christmas gift for us because now it was go time. Because we love mom and dad, but it was like, you know, we got, we got to get in the house. What y'all laughing at? <laughs> we got to get in the house. And so now, it, you know, the race was on. The clock was going. So we would drive by, check out all the, the progress that was happening. Uh, and I remember we pulled up one day, and they were bricking uh, the home. And we kind of, we didn't get out because we didn't want to get in the way. We had the kids with us. And so we just kind of looked. Let me tell you, I don't know if you've ever seen that happening, the, the process of bricking a home, but it's like a science to it. Like you, it's like a whole crew, and everybody has something that they're responsible for. You had the person who's kind of, you know, doing the whole mix thing here, and then you had the people on the, the scaffolding. Then you had somebody that, you know, was moving the bricks to them. And this is happening all around the house in different sections. And they, and they would, I, I promise you, it seemed like he would throw five bricks up, and they'd be like, how do you do that? It was just amazing. But it didn't take just one person. One person could not brick the entire house. It took a whole team, more than just a team. It took collaboration with that team. And when I think about seeing our home being bricked, and I think about this church, and I think about just what it means to belong to the kingdom of God, that it takes more than just us, it takes a team, it takes collaboration. That God has called us to collaborate in advancing the message of Jesus. And so this whole idea of bricklayers, it's not about what we can do as individuals, but it's about what we can do collectively. It's about how we can come together and collaborate in advancing the cause of Jesus and partnering with him and what he's doing here on the earth. And so today... As we continue this conversation of bricklayers, we're going to have this conversation around this idea that building takes collaboration. Building takes collaboration. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Building takes collaboration. And listen, as we can con- continue to track this morning, listen, if something sits well to you and you're like, yo, that spoke to me, it's okay. You can amen it. You can, you can wave your hand, all that good stuff. But maybe it still spoke but it, you feel like it spoke more to your neighbor? It's like, girl, that was a word for you. You need, to, you need to get that. Write that down. That's okay. I guess what I'm saying, feel free to talk back to the preacher this morning. Is that cool? Listen, family, collaboration is a powerful tool. There are not many areas in life that exist uh, where you're going to accomplish something great. You're going to be a part of something significant that doesn't require collaboration, Right? You can have a team, but if that team isn't collaborating well together, that team's not going to be effective in meeting the goal or getting the outcome that they want. So anything of significance is going to require collaboration. And to make sure we're all tracking with what collaboration means, collaboration is defined as the decision to work jointly together with others. We have to decide to collaborate. In other words, it may not be something that just comes naturally, but it's something that we're going to have to make a decision to be a part of, to take part in. And we can see throughout history some significant moments of collaboration that you and I benefit from today. So let's, let's look at a few of them. So the Wright brothers, they gave us all wings. So initially, the Wright brothers were in the business of bicycles, but through collaboration— they basically have made, fly, they've made a fixed-wing aircraft possible. So now because of their collaboration, we can get out of service here in a moment. We can go, down the, go over to Huntsville International, and we can go travel the world. We can go see the world because of collaboration. Or consider Larry Page and Sergey Brin. They brought the Internet to our fingertips. You don't say, let me search for this. What do you say? I'm going to Google it. So through their collaboration, they brought us Google. Or consider this one. This one's pretty sweet. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. That's exactly what they did. They made life a little sweeter when they collaborated with Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Come on, can I get a better amen right there? So, family, these are just some examples of collaboration to show that together we can accomplish more than what we can on our own. Because that's what building should be about. Building should be about collaboration. Building should never be about what I can do exclusively, but rather what I can do inclusively. How can I include others in what God has called me to? How can I include others along this journey? This is not about just what I can do on my own, but this is about how I can partner with others in building what God is building. Here's a question to ask, how can I bring others into what God has called me to? Because the, the, we're all called to Jesus, but he gives us unique ways. We're giving you unique ways to express that calling to him. So here's a question to ask, how can I bring others along in what I'm called to? Because what you're called to is not just about you. It's not about your name. It's not about becoming famous. It's it's not about any of that. But it's always about others, and it's always going to point people to the Lord. Now, when I say called, oftentimes people hear that, and they just think about vocational ministry. But it's far more than that because we're all ministers of reconciliation, so when you're in your workplace, you're a minister of reconciliation. You're a minister of the gospel, whether you're a CEO or whether you stay at home and care for the kids and the family, that we are all called to be ministers of reconciliation. And so we all have that, that responsibility to stop, pause, and see how and am, am I bringing others along in what I'm called to. That's why the Becoming Church isn't about a personal personality. But it's about people like Paris and others connecting to what God is doing and then going and making a difference. Because I couldn't be out in the parking lot waving at you. I couldn't be at the door welcoming you in. I couldn't be there helping to check in your kids. I couldn't also be teaching the baptism class. I couldn't also be leading worship. I couldn't be playing the keys. I cannot be on the drums. I can, I, you, you catch what I'm saying. It takes all of us collectively. It's like we mentioned last week that there are no small roles in the kingdom. Everything is significant. Everything plays a role that's vital. And so it's important for us to ask that question, how can I bring others along with what God has called me to? Nehemiah understood that. He had this burden to rebuild the walls. But Nehemiah couldn't rebuild the walls on his own. Can you imagine that? He needed others. He needed people with other skill set that he didn't have, with intellect that he didn't have, with knowledge that he didn't have, with creativity that he didn't have. And that's what we see in Nehemiah 3. And we read the first five verses, but if you go and read that entire chapter, it's name after name after name after name of people who came together and collaborated to rebuild the walls. Why? Because building requires collaboration. And if we're going to be effective in reaching the city, if we're going to be effective in taking the gospel into the night family, we're going to have to choose collaboration. Even with that being said, effective in reaching the city. Listen, the Becoming Church is not in competition with any other church in this area. Please don't get it confused with, with us with that. Because that's not what we're here for, but we're here to advance the cause of Christ. And so if there's a brother, sister, friend, whoever, that connects with another church community, praise God. You know why? Because they're connecting with another church community. And the, the, the hope of Jesus is being spread. The gospel is going forth. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. So this church is not here for competitive reasons. Please don't. don't. All right. Keep going. But we're here to advance the the, the message of Jesus. I look at it like this. You can go go to Handel's Ice Cream, and they got a whole bunch of different flavors there. And I may pick cookies and cream or blueberry cheesecake or, sorry, I may pick these different flavors, and you may pick something different. But guess what we all got? We all got ice cream. And so there's the Becoming Church and this church and that church, but people are getting Jesus, and that's what counts. But I say that to say, a couple weeks ago, it was a collaborative effort between us and five other churches in this city that had the opportunity uh, to feed thousands. Of, who knows what the, the total count was? It was 1,300 people that came through, but that just was representations of what was at home. So thousands of people that we got to, fit, got to feed. Now, can you imagine if we was like, yo, we're not connecting with that because y'all putting y'all name on the graphic, and we're just going to do it on our own. Then our impact would not have been as great. But because... We were kingdom-minded and like-minded. We came together, and we got to do more. And so if we're going to be effective in reaching, are there unique things that God calls this community to do and others not to do? Of course. I'm not saying that. But the idea is that we're we're for kingdom connection and kingdom collaboration to reach this city. Because you can't have a burden for the city and be in competition with another ministry. Because then you don't have a burden for this city. You don't really love this city. You just love what you are part of in your isolated little bubble, but you don't love the kingdom of God. Because whether, all right, we're going to keep going. <laughs> so the requirements for collaboration. And so if building requires collaboration, what are the requirements for collaboration? Here's the first collab, uh, requirement. Write this down. Collaboration requires vision. Collaboration requires vision. Listen, when you build anything, you need some instructions. Not only do you need instructions, you need to be able to follow instructions. I don't build anything at home. (laughs) I call somebody or like, Katie, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Guys, we need freedom from that. But when you build anything, (laughs) you must have some instructions. There must be a blueprint. You must have some specs that you're building to. Otherwise, things are going to look crazy and get chaotic. So here's what I'm saying. Building requires vision. So collaboration, we need vision. What are we building around? What are we connecting around? Now, vision doesn't mean that it's a reality today. And so there's vision I see for the Becoming Church, but that doesn't mean it's a reality today, but we're moving towards that. But here's what vision is. Vision is a preview into the future. It's a, it's a here is what's next moment. It's like when you go to the movies, movies they show you the preview of the, the movies that are later to be released. So you, you can't see it right now. You can't view it right now. But it's a here's what's next moment. Here's what's coming moment. So collaboration requires vision. Because when the builders show up to build a house, they're ready to, be, they're ready to build because there was a vision. Because there's blueprints. Because there's a plan. Consider Noah. Noah didn't just start Building the ark, he had instructions. He had a blueprint. He was given uh, the vision for the ark by God. Look at Genesis 6, 14 through 16. It says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening, one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark And make lower, middle, and upper decks. There was vision for it. There was vision that was required. And collaboration requires vision. And the vision that we are collaborating around here at the Becoming Church is to see people belong to community, believe in Jesus, and become who God desires them to be. Now, that's just not a a slogan to stamp on the wall somewhere. But it's something to be lived out. It's something to to be a reality. And we say belong to community because it's important to belong to community, to know that you don't have to live life alone. You don't have to live life on your own. And our heart here is not for us to kind of slide in and slide out on a Sunday morning, but we consistently encourage you to get connected. Arrive early. Show up a little bit early. And figure out who's in the lobby. And, and, and I don't know, you, you may have connections with people that you didn't even realize you had. But that only happens, come early. Linger a little bit. At the end, linger a little bit in the lobby. Hang around. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Be friendly. That's why we do the, the one-minute social time. Y'all be taking 30 seconds. There's still 30 <laughs> seconds remaining. But <laughs> get social. Connect with people. Why? Because... Life transformation doesn't happen in isolation. Life transformation happens in the context of community. And that's why we have belong groups, which are small groups here at the church. We don't do those just because they say, hey, when you start a church, you should do small groups. Not at all. (laughs) We do those because we believe that's where transformation takes place. And I'm going to Paris today because her becoming story played. But Paris serves and she's also connected to different belong groups. So you know what that does when you gather on a Sunday morning. It makes the environment that much better because you've got stories from your belong group and you're serving together and you're getting to know people. You're getting to find out about them and their family. And that builds something, a connection between you that when something deep, dark, and terrible happens in your life, you have somebody to pick up the phone and like, yo, can you pray for me with this? Can you believe for me uh, in this? Let me tell you what is happening. Let me tell you what is going on. If you live isolated, if you slip in, slip out, guess what? You miss that opportunity. And sometimes I've, I've heard people often say this, you know, like, man, that church was, was so big I got lost in the crowd." And I understand that can happen. But my mind immediately goes, but what did you do to connect? Because everybody wants community, but what a lot of people realize that community takes work. But can I tell you, community may take work, but it's worth it. It's worth it knowing that you can pick up the phone and you can have somebody pray for you and believe in you. You can have somebody to celebrate the, the, the winds of life and someone to pray with you in what may seem like a loss in the moment. So when we say belong to community, we're not just kind of like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Say belong to community. Yes, that'll get them going. No, we want that to be something lived out here in this church, that in all of our different stories, all of our different backgrounds, Like I look out and I see the faces, all different types of faces, all different types of stories here. But my heart is that we can gather together and belong to community with all of those differences around the name of Jesus Christ. But also belonging, even if you don't believe like us, think like us, act like us, talk like us, look like us, all that. Because when I look at scripture, when Jesus called the first disciples, he didn't say, hey, Do you believe that I'm the Messiah? Yes. Okay, follow me. Go look at the Gospels. He said, yo, what are you doing? Follow me. He didn't say, do you believe? Now, some people don't like that idea. They don't like the statement, you can belong before you believe. A lot of people push back on that. But I can't help but see that Jesus said, he just simply said, follow me. Because really, in in Western culture at least, we've got We've got it wrong. We've got it flipped around the wrong way. We say salvation first and then discipleship next. So raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. And then discipleship next. But that's not it. Jesus was for discipleship-led salvation. So he said, follow me. And through the process of being with him, ultimately, they believed in him. But for some of us, we shy away from that because, yo, that's dirty. You use some foul language. You know, you still like to do a little bit every now and then and this, that, and the other. And so we kind of like, ah, why don't you clean up first? And, but that's not it. Now, when I say belong before you believe, we, we got to be ready. You can't be turning up your nose. Somebody walks in here and like, yo, you said, but long before you believe, this is how I know to express myself when I'm excited. So you may hear that bomb dropped or you may hear that word said. But well, that's just how I know to express when I'm excited because that's what I know. So we got to understand what that means even when we say that. But that's the, that's the posture of us. Well, guess what? Because you didn't receive grace. God has brought you from somewhere. He's brought us from somewhere. And so he's doing that same thing in someone else's life. And that was the segue to the next tenet of the vision, believe in Jesus. Because ultimately, if people feel like they belong, in positions for them to believe. Being candid, why would I ever believe in something if I'm not even made to feel like I belong in it? If you're judging me, talking about me, this, that, and the other. Now, there's a part, like, people say, don't judge me. Well, no, no, you kind of have to. That's, that's just a myth when people say that. But there's the right way. To do this, so I'll be clear when I say that. But people gotta feel like they belong because then it positions them to believe. Because for some people, you're the only Jesus they will ever see. And so check your witness. How does it look at work? Do people even know that I love Jesus? That's a question we should all ask ourselves. So belong to the community, believe in Jesus, and become who God desires us to be. Because until you believe in Him, you can't discover who you are. So when you discover who he is, you can discover who he's called you to be. So we need vision. That's the vision we're collaborating around. Secondly, collaboration requires unity. So it's one thing to say we're going to collaborate, but it's another thing to be united. Unity isn't something you do, family. Unity is something you become. Unity can't just be, I'm going to, all right, cool, I'll I'll be unified for the sake of unity. But no, we want to become unity. You say, what does that look like? All right, if you have kids or, or maybe nieces, nephews, cousins, little, that are that are younger, think about this. You say, hey, share your toys. Share what you have. Well, I brought it for me. Share your toys. So that's something that they're doing. They're, they're kind of choose, they're, they're being pushed into unity. But then there's a difference when you become unity, it's the next time you're at the family function. Hey, I, I brought two toys, you can have one, right? That's the difference between unity being something you do and someone you become. So we want to become unity, that the way our mind works, what we go to first is unity. Why do we choose unity? Because unity commands a blessing. Look at Psalms 133, verses 1 and 3. It talks about that. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers. To dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. We don't want to just be a church that exists, but we want to be a blessed church. We want the hand of God on our church. We want the hand of God in what we're doing, the favor of God, not just this church, but your life, your family, your marriage. We want to see it blessed and have the favor of God on it. You know what ushers that in? Unity. The early church understood that when, in Acts 2 when they were gathered together, all together in one place. And it set the stage for the Spirit of God to come to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And because of that moment, we have this moment today. Because they were unified together. So collaboration requires unity. And lastly, collaboration requires commitment. There are moments throughout history that become these marked moments, moments that change the landscape of what we knew from the moment that they occurred. So consider uh, the, the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. Consider uh, the, the attacks in, in, in New York and in Virginia and in D.C. September 11th, 2001. Or consider March 2020. March 2020 was a month that changed so much due to the pandemic. And one of the areas that it really changed, it changed our behaviors, uh, specifically our ability to commit. Prior to March 2020, some of us may have never heard of this term, ghosted or ghosting. But because of March 2020 and, and what happened from thereafter, ghosting became a part of a lot of people's vernacular is a word that they used often. And ghosting was basically this, this thing that says, hey, I once committed to that, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> hey, we once used to talk. We're not anymore. I once used to return your text. I'm not anymore. I know I just saw you at Bridge Street, and you're going to text me, but guess what? I'm not going to respond. <laughs> and that became the response of many. So people had commitments and all these different things that they just kind of ghosted the commitment. And I I get it in a sense because of what the year was. There was so much unpredictability. Like one minute, do this. Next minute, don't do that. Do this again, but don't do that part of it. (laughs) And so it left people with this mindset, well, why commit to anything because it's going to be different anyway? And people had that approach to everything, so many aspects of life. In fact, with jobs, right? It was called the, 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 the Great Resonation, where people like, yo, I'm ghosting work. I'm done. I still haven't figured out how people got income. I still don't know. But anyway, another story for another conversation. But people ghosted work. But this reminds me of a story in Acts chapter 15, where we have Paul and Barnabas here. They're working together, and they're going from town to town, spreading the gospel, all this good stuff. Then they have this idea like, yo, let's go check on the towns and, and places that we hit up before. Let's check on the believers there, and let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas is like, great, we'll bring John Mark, or Mark, uh, as he also is known. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. John Mark cannot come. You may say, why? Because in Acts 15, 36 through 38, you see what Paul says. He's like, no, homeboy deserted us. We were out here doing this work. We're out here risking our lives, and your boy left. So, nah, you can't bring him this time. And so they never could come to agreement and actually went their separate ways. And so thinking about that, why did John Mark desert them? Why did he quit? Why did he give up? Because there was opposition, because it was tough, because it was difficult. And we're closing here, and if there's keys, I'll stop talking. Somebody say, yeah, right. <laughs> but we must commit, listen, family, we must commit to build. Even if there's opposition. Because listen, everyone's not going to be excited about bricklayers. It's time to build. Everyone's not going to be excited about God building your marriage. Everyone's not going to be excited about God building your family. Everyone's not going to be excited about God building your life. Everyone's not going to be excited about God building this church. And when I say that, I'm I'm not even necessarily talking about things that could be physical, but spiritually. Because our fight isn't against flesh and blood. But it's against principalities and heavenly places that the enemy is not going to be excited about territory that's being reclaimed. Because this isn't his ground. The earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof. And so there is territory for us to go back and take physically redeem some places, but spiritually redeem places. And so guess what, family? There's going to be opposition, but we must remain committed. We must remain, remember the mission because there are people who need to discover the hope of Jesus. And if we back out because of some simple opposition, we're going to miss the opportunity to believe this prayer on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're believing for. That's just not the little thing you recite with your kids at night, but that's what we're believing, that until Jesus comes, we're going to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Because guess what? Ultimately, this is the place we're going to be. We're going to go hang out for a little bit, but then we're going to come back here on this new earth, right? And so we can get position now we can get ready now to believe for this like the scripture we mentioned last week Jeremiah 29 and 7 we're praying for the peace and prosperity of the city but Nehemiah they face opposition in Nehemiah 4 but listen to what he says in verse 14 he says after I look because the people were afraid and so what are we going to do we got these haters these, this opposition to the wall And he says this after I looked things over I stood up and said to the nobles the officials and the rest of the people don't be afraid of them Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families and sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Family, how do we respond to opposition? Remember the Lord. Remember his word. Remember what he said. Remember what he spoke. Remember the vision. Remember the mission. So every trial in your way is not a reason to retreat, but it's a reason to keep on going, to keep on pushing, to keep on pursuing because you've got the wind of heaven in yourselves that's pushing and propelling you forward. And the opposition, remember, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail. That means as the church... We're on the offensive, and we're pushing forward. We're going into the night. What does that mean? We're going into some of the darkest places. And I don't mean that physically. I mean that spiritually. That could be at work. That could be in your home. That could just be in this city. But we have to keep going no matter the opposition. And so as we close, family, know this God is sovereign. And the sovereignty of God just means essentially that he has all power, wisdom, and authority to do anything he chooses within his creation. Now, the providence of God is how he decides to govern, is how he decides to reign. And so when you see Scripture, you see that God, the way that he chooses to use his sovereignty, he chooses collaboration. Because listen, he could, again, he's sovereign, he has all power, all wisdom, all that. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants But yet he chooses to collaborate with people. He chose to collaborate with Noah. He chose to collaborate with Abraham. He chose to collaborate with Moses. He chose to collaborate with Joshua. He chose to collaborate with Gideon. Gideon is like, I can't do this. I'm the least in in all this. But yet God collaborated with him. He chose to collaborate with Rahab, a prostitute. God could have done all these things, but I said he chose collaboration. So what am I saying? I'm saying the same way he chose them, he's choosing you and I. He's choosing us. And maybe you're saying, I don't think I have what it takes to actually collaborate with God. Let's go back and look at some of the people I just mentioned. Noah got drunk. Moses was a murderer. Gideon, I mean, he didn't have faith in anything. Rahab was a prostitute, but yet God used him. Why? Because God doesn't collaborate with the qualified. He qualifies you the moment he decides to collaborate with you. You don't have to go get it together. He says, Michael, I want to use you. He says, Josh, I want to use you. He says, Corey, I want to use you. He says, Chris, I want to use you. He didn't say, show me your qualification. Because the sovereign God, the all-powerful God, is choosing to collaborate with you. And so that's all of us in here this morning. And you said, when did this invitation happen? It happened when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew to the disciples and ultimately down to us when he says to take the gospel to all the corners of the earth. The Great Commission was your invitation to collaboration when you pray with me this morning father we thank you thank you for this opportunity Lord to collaborate God thank you God that you're building your church and for the opportunity God to partner with what you're doing God help us to see the vision help us to understand the need of unity And God, help us to remain committed to the call. You know, the greatest, we may have received that invitation for collaboration, but the greatest invitation we could receive is the invitation that has been extended to us through the life of Jesus to be redeemed forever, to have past, future, and sins forgiven, to walk in freedom, to live this life not on your own. And so as Paul says, He was an ambassador. I stand here this morning as an ambassador making an appeal that if you haven't said yes to Jesus in this place this morning, I'm going to extend that invitation. I'm not going to make this long or drawn out. But if you're ready, if you're not ready, don't raise your hand. But if you're ready to to, to say yes to Jesus, maybe he's been pulling on your heart for a while now, and you're ready to say yes without any hesitation. If that's you, will you just simply raise your hand in this place this morning? I want to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Let's see your hands. You can place your hands now. And I'll ask this just as an act of unity. Could we all say this together? But especially those of you who raise your hands this morning. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, say it like you believe it. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins give me a brand new start. I believe in you. You are Lord and you are Savior. And so today, I'm committing my life to you, to live for you, to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate that this morning? Come on, can you make some noise for that this morning?